0: I mean, are you having fun? This is your third or fourth startup?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're building this thing that doesn't exist in the world that we believe needs to exist. There's an obvious hole and we are filling it.
0: This is pretty forward thinking.
1: Yeah, we started with this idea of getting the deployment process to be sub one second. And really our deployment process is about 40 milliseconds. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of Dark.
0: I'm Edith Harva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly.
1: And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development.
0: You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast.
1: The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. So Paul. Yes. How's dark going? Dark is going really well. Do you have t-shirts yet? We don't have t shirts yet. You know, we, we made t shirts and we made swag. We made leggings, in fact. Mm. Unfortunately, they were all see through.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying they were not
1: dark? Ah, oh, poor. So dark has gone really well. Wait, Um, wait,
0: wait! What happened with the t-shirts? I didn't get
1: one. Oh, we we stopped giving them away once a couple of people said (laughs) they're see-through. Were
0: Were they white?
1: Yeah, they 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 were they were white and extremely thin. (laughs) Why didn't you get black t-shirts? We also had black t-shirts. We should get you a t-shirt, our our favorite investor.
0: Well, because thank you for wearing your launch darkly shirt.
1: I I always Uh, wear my launch darkly shirt, uh,
0: and now I know why. Because there's no dark shirts. Right.
1: Yeah. So dark is at an interesting phase. We, I guess we started building product around, uh, I'm going to say, August, two years ago, so about Ah. 18 months ago, maybe, a little more than that. And we were at the, what the hell is this product? Mm -hmm. So we had a core idea that there's all this accidental complexity in software, and we want a way to allow people to build backends without... All this accent complexity. So, we wanted people to not have to worry about infrastructure. We want people to not have to worry about deployment for like deployment to be instant, and we want people to like be able to make APIs easily. So those were kind of our, our our core starting points. And so we spent about a year iterating on various things before we came to something where we had a user that was building a business on top of Dark.
0: How many people were you for the year when you were just iterating?
1: It was growing, but largely, I would say for that year, there was four of us, with two of us in engineering.
0: So you, Alan, Ian?
1: Uh, and Steffi. So we were working on that for a better a year before we had a, a customer. and custom- when you
0: say customer, were they paying you?
1: No, no, no. So we, we were paying them. Ah, you should,
0: you should explain to the listener.
1: So we, we posted on the internet, it got quite a bit of traction on, on the various aggregators where people shout at each other about, we'll pay you to be our customer.
0: That is really interesting.
1: Best thing we ever did, holy shit. Like I'm so shocked still at how good an idea that was. So uh, why do you think it was a great idea? Because you get to this point with, with your product, and th- this isn't true of every product, but th- this was true of our product, where there's a bunch of directions that you could go. So you know your product isn't quite ready for you to market it. Like You, you can't just give it to a thousand people yeah. and have some of them use it.
0: I think we had the luxury that we did not
1: have a thousand people who wanted to use it. Right, right, right. And, and same with Circle. I, I say luxury and quotation marks. So I, I think this is a thing for people who are building a very new thing versus what I think that you're doing on starkly and what I did with Circle, which is like there's an obvious hole and we are filling it. So with, with with dark, it's not nearly so obvious what the thing needs to be. So we need we need customers to guide us, but you know, it was shit. It like we ourselves felt that like it was roughly the right direction but what are we working on next do we need to work on the database feature do we need to work on the editor do we need to work on the infrastructure all of it is like you know broken in a million different ways which one matters so that was why we paid someone to take that risk on mm. so they would get things out of it so for example they would get not having to worry about infrastructure but they would also lose things out of it like Sometimes it's not going to be working, and you might have to step away from it for a couple of hours while we fix things. So we paid. Daniel was our was our first EIR. We paid uh, three grand for um for three months. Wow, um, three, three
0: grand a month or three grand three more?
1: grand a month. Wow, uh, for for three months. So you were paying um, him. We were paying yes, and it was very much a. A runaway extension for them. Like it's you know they're not our employees. They're not contracting. Like they're building their own company. And we had I think thirty applicants. So thirty people who liked this idea. And we picked Daniel because he most fit the model uh, or the, the the kind of thing that we're able to support.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So our first customers were people from our accelerator. And mm-hmm. hindsight, they weren't very good customers at all. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the kindest possible way of like they did give us feedback about usability and ergonomics, yeah. but they didn't actually really need us. They were just yes. using us because I would go and bug them daily.
1: Yeah, and especially you're a product that makes sense at once you reach a certain size. Yeah, yeah. So it was like the two person startup
0: who I would go bug every day. Like, have you installed it yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not our ideal customer.
1: Yeah. So um, our our ideal customer. There's really two markets that are our ideal customer at the start. One is is people building um, a client's app, so a single page web app, a mobile app, or perhaps even a desktop app and that needs to talk to APIs and that needs needs a back end to tie it all together. Mm. So that's one use case that we want. And the other use case is people building new microservices and existing microservice architectures. Oh. So you've got, you essentially, something that you talk to via HTTP, that's really what Dark is good at.
0: I like the way um, you, that you've really defined your vision a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, like it's, it's just like it's much tighter now. I mean, yeah, because at, at the start it was just like we're trying to remove all the accidental yeah. complexity from coding, and we're trying to make it a hundred times easier to code, and we're trying to bring coding to a billion people. You're like whatever. Wh- well, you're like, what if you could build Instagram
0: overnight? And it's like right, boom. Right. boom.
1: Yeah, and that, that's still the mission, but it's, it's much more of a... You've narrowed in
0: for a couple yeah, of very
1: specific use cases. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so we, we were looking for those people, and we, and we got a bunch of people who are like, oh, you know, I want to do this real-time chat, or I want to do you know the, this variation on Twitter, or I want to do this um, real-time video editing thing. And they're like, those, those are outside our scope for now. Yeah. They, 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 they will be inside our scope. But for now, it's just like, literally, Dark is, is a place that you can write code that is connected to the internet. That's still pretty broad, though. It it is still pretty broad. Yes, yes. So if everything that you need can be conducted via HTTP, we're the thing. But we need to find those people, and the place that that led us get to, uh, the place that we were able to get by doing that that ER. We did it a second time with Chase. Chase,
0: a person, or the bank?
1: Chase is a person. He makes usealtitude.com, which is a it's a SaaS for flight deals. So rather than one of these like flight deals that you sign up for and there's a million people on them and they you know they get used before you get them, this is someone that you you pay, I think it's five dollars a month, and you get, you know, personalized deals for, for the, the routes that you want to go. And that's built entirely on dark. And the thing that these two EIR ships let us get to was to e- go from the phase EIR. Entrepreneur in residence slash engineer in residence. We weren't really sure which it, which it was, but it was one of those two. So doing this, what I'll let us get to is, I think I've talked on this uh, on this before about like the phases that companies go through. Oh, so most companies have the you know we're we're getting to product market fit phase, and then we are you know scaling or you know we're we're developing our business model and then we're scaling, roughly sequential order. Not not. You know, much overlap. What what I've realized with with dark is that our pre-product market fit phase is actually split into various different phases as well. Mm. So our first one was like, what the hell is it that we're building? Yep. And now the version is, how do we make this good? Yep. So we know what it is we're building. We know that we're able to build in it, but many of the of the parts of it, so like the editor, for example, is just not very good. It's mm. not it's not fun to use. Like it has a lot of bugs that are sort of core to to the uh, to how we designed it. And it was good enough to prove that you could edit in production safely and was not good enough to be a thing that people enjoy using. Mm. So we're, we're at that, that transition point now of trying to make everything like, solid and good and fun and you know, eventually when we go public on it, we want people to say, like, oh my god, this feels amazing, what a great tool.
0: Who do you feel is your competitor for that? Like, what are you replacing for that?
1: It's kind of hard to say. Because Dark is it's an editor, it's a programming language, and it's infrastructure. It's so like the most obvious thing that we're replacing is running a node application on AWS or Heroku or Kubernetes or, or whatever. And that's a large thing. It's not like we're, we're not replacing node and we're not replacing AWS, but like we're replacing the the using of them together, which is how, how they're used.
0: Yeah, it's nice to be back at heavy bit today, but I start to pattern match Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about Warren and his project, mm-hmm. which he said was good but not
1: good enough to replace anything. Uh, Canvas. Yeah. 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 So the things that make Dark better than the things that come before are the overlap in kind of the problem domains. Yep. So if you compare Dark to, let's say, you compare the Dark editor directly to Vim, or, or VS Code, or whatever, right? It's not very good at the things that vim is good at, right you know vim you, you have a single configuration to edit many different languages and you have these like you know corded keystrokes that allow you to do these you know very powerful feats of of text editing and the dark editor is not really a text editor, and it's not very good at being a text editor. What it's really good for being is for editing live dark programs in production safely and similar with like you know our our infrastructure like we're 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 building infrastructure that is specific to the problem of writing programs in our editor that get into production safely and that can be maintained live in a safe way and what the user gets out of that is the ability to just remove like large swaths of of what they need to do so like there is no ci pipeline as an obvious thing there's no deployment at all it's instant but it also means that it's very hard to compare directly to a thing that came before and say this thing is 10x better than that thing. It's really the experience of building backends with Dark is significantly better than the experience of building backends without Dark. What's
0: your unit of adoption? What do you mean by that? So the two examples you talked about were kind of sound like single engineers.
1: Yeah, they they, they were because we haven't built collaboration yet.
0: Oh, so is it and I ask all these questions because I'm genuinely yeah. curious, not because I'm trying to of course yeah, yeah, yeah girl you or put you on the spot. Like so can two people start using this?
1: So we're building some stuff internally where just like apps built on top of dark and what we're doing at the moment is we're we're literally like passing a baton to the next person. So at this moment in time, only one person can really use dark. And that's just that we haven't built collaboration features. My expectation is that we'll build collaboration features in the near future.
0: Sorry, I have all these questions.
1: No, 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 questions, how do, questions how are good. How
0: does source control work with this? How does versioning work with this?
1: We have integrated feature flags and version control. Hmm. They're the same thing. So there was this realization that we had very early on that... The way that people deploy software today is is like a multi stage process oh, where yeah. each stage introduces risks that isn't actually necessary. So you have a change, and in that change you deploy that, but you don't just deploy the change. You deploy this like this tarball or this Docker yeah. file or you know something like this big unit of change. You start up your application container and yeah. you you shut down the other ones.
0: Yeah, I mean that's where blue green deployments come
1: over. Right. So that thing of getting the new version and turning down the old version used to be how software was delivered. Like yeah. it used to be it got in production, now users are doing it. Obviously you make feature flags, but let me let me continue with this narrative. So okay, so you've got your thing in production now, but today we don't enable it for users immediately. Yep. What we do is we flag it. Yes. And when you enable that flag for everybody, the old code is no longer valuable and the old code can be removed.
0: And I could say, uh, people sometimes ask if I have blue green deployments, do I need feature flags? Mm-hmm. And my take is there for different purposes.
1: Sure, sure. Like, like blue
0: green is does the code successfully delivered
1: yes. to, to a machine? However, once you have feature flags, what is the value of that risky deploy?
0: Well, I'd say the way I break it down is a blue green deployment is basically has this tarball or yeah, 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 code yeah, yeah, yeah. made it out. Yes. And then I look at feature flags as a subdivision within that.
1: So, why is blue green valuable?
0: Because machines still have wonky config variables. There's stuff. Not in dark. Like, there's still huge risk yes. that like, the, so, the whole so push towards point, immutable though. and once, config once is code. Once you have
1: feature flags, then the blue green deploy thing is just pure risk. You're just trying to make sure that you don't fuck things up by deploying it. Which still happens. Which still happens. Yes, exactly. So, with dark, we remove branches. We remove blue green deploy. We remove the git thing entirely. And the only unit of change is the feature flag. Wow. So if you have code that's running in production, you feature flag it, you write the new thing, and then you switch over to it, or you test it, or you enable it for yourself. So it's like your dev environment is your production environment with a feature flag, maybe set for just you.
0: This is pretty forward thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. We started with this idea of getting the deployment process to be sub one second, and really our deployment process is about forty milliseconds. And we had to rearchitect everything. Like th- there is a need to have the editor in that loop because if you're going to have the editor, you know, and it saves and it touches a file system and then it goes across the internet and like you know that that's that's a hard. It's a hard change. So you need to pull all this stuff in to enable that. But once you've got it all in, then what you have is oh, yeah, I can do a deployment in, in 40 milliseconds and I can do it safely as well.
0: That's really what uh, Mariana Tessel talked about when she came a couple years ago about living code.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I have such a bad short-term memory that I remember not a single podcast episode that we have made before this date, so you're going to have to tell me more.
0: That's great, we have a whole library of 50+. plus. You can put them in your download directory. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh my
1: god, these people sound (laughs) so smart, who are they?
0: And and also, Paul, you know that we have transcripts? Yeah, oh yeah. Have you checked out the Heavy Bit Library lately? They have this and many other podcasts.
1: So occasionally people... Twitter me and they're like, oh, in that episode where you asked about this thing, I'm like, I have no recollection. I have no idea what we're talking about here. Oh, really? Yeah. So, what did Mariana Tessel say?
0: She was talking about the idea of living code. So, Mariana okay. Tessel, when she was on it uh, with us, I think she was uh, VP of engineering at Docker. Now yeah. she's CTO at Intuit. Hmm. Brilliant woman who I admire very much. Yeah. But she was talking about her ideal that when you checked in code, it could be live instantly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
0: With the right safeguards, not.
1: Yep. So, so that's exactly what we're building. Uh, I should go back and listen to that episode. It's, it's a good episode. You were yeah. very witty in it. Oh, yeah,
0: it? Anywhere you're launch darkly t shirt that day. Right,
1: right. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so there is version control, but it's the same as feature flags. And it's like a history of what the code was like before you flipped the flag.
0: How do you ever clean it up then if it's just a layer and layer and layer of feature flags? Why would you? At some point, it impacts readability
1: if you just have all this stuff. Oh, well, I mean, you you switch over to the new thing. And then the thing that was in the flag is now just like in the history. Consider it to be old commits almost. You rarely go back to look at your old commits, but sometimes you want to.
0: I buy into this. It's funny, it's very retro. I mean, this is basically trunk based development. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. So I I give a lot of talks about feature flagging. Mm -hmm. And I remember I gave a talk in England. And somebody came up and said we had feature flagging forty years ago. Yeah. Because we didn't have version control.
1: Oh, interesting. They didn't just make backups with ever increasing names that like they copied the directory onto somewhere else in their hard disk. They they actually flagged in
0: Well, so they, it was this forty years ago and they didn't have a version control system. Yeah. So every time they deployed, everything went out. Yeah. And so they said, Well, we basically invented feature flags. Yeah. That's well, I cool. I mean, like a version of it so that like when they deployed they could control it, it went out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, we certainly didn't invent feature flags. We just tried to make them easier to use.
1: Yeah. So there's a realization that many of these features or many of these tools are providing the same feature set and some of them are doing it better than others, or some of them are doing it in a way that is more suitable for like one environment versus versus other environments. And I think Git is something which fundamentally has not been reinvented for a long time. There was RCS, and then there was CVS, and then there was SVN, and now there's Git. But like, they're all the same tool. Yep. They all do the same job. And what we're talking about when we talk about removing accidental complexity is, is rather than saying, how do we make a better version of SVN, we want to say, how can we reduce the job that is required of this tool to almost nothing?
0: we'll just make it easy for people to focus on what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many steps in deployment. Another one of my favorite episodes is the one with Kevin Hendrickson
1: mm-hmm.
0: where he talks about how he went from a two-week deploy process at Microsoft mm-hmm. down to
1: minutes. Oh yeah, no, no, this is coming back to
0: me. Yeah. Yeah, cuz yeah. like every step he's like, "Well, why?" Yeah. Like one of their steps was literally
1: to ship it to Puerto
0: Rico so they can get some sort of tax break. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, can we automate that?"
1: <laughs> right. So, um our deploy time is 40 milliseconds. Yeah. Any change that you make can be live if you choose it to be live in 40 milliseconds. Wow. Like we we have to completely rewrite like how software is made. Like if you if you think about Rails, you know, Rails has longer than 40 milliseconds to start up. In fact, the startup time for the Python interpreter to run Hello World is like 70 milliseconds. Yeah. And the time to run Hello World in dark across the internet in your browser is also about seventy milliseconds.
0: Well, I love what you're doing with Dark and I agree with it. I will say amongst our enterprise customers, they don't want every change to be live like that. Correct. Like they want all these layers of for a variety of very valid reasons.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree.
0: Like younger me is like, well, everything should just be live and I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a really good reason of like um they have training of their sales force. Yep. They have training of their frontline employees. Yep. They need to notify customers. Yep. You know, like they, they want to have some sort of guardrails on of like, mm-hmm. well, this
1: can be deployed and ready. Right. So deployed and ready is is our thing as well.
0: Yeah, like they um, want it deployed and ready, but not pushed.
1: Yeah. Fundamentally our view on this is we want the practice of building software to be as little accidental complexity as possible. And we want it to be Part of that is is it being safe for whatever your your use case is. So for enterprise customers, the process of like releasing it sometimes has real essential complexity. Maybe it's like SOX compliance, maybe it's GDPR compliance, or compliance is a good example of like an essential complexity that you can't get rid of by optimizing your software deployment process.
0: I mean, something I've thought a lot about is we used to have enforcement by box. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it used to be. Well, now it's on the QA box. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, So it's time to
0: QA. Now it's on the beta box. So it's time for the beta testers. And continuous delivery allows you to shrink that down, so they're Mm -hmm. all in the same box. But you still sometimes want the same steps to happen. Right. Like you still want to have the QA testers look at it. You still want to have the beta testers look at it. Yeah.
1: We haven't got to this yet, but our expectation is that we will allow you specify access controls for any. Place in your dark infrastructure. Yeah, that's the idea of progressive delivery. Right. So one of the ideas of dark is everything is written in the same in the same tool, and as a result of that, any setting that you make, so for example, an, an access control can be applied anywhere in the program. Yeah, uh, and can be applied as fine grained or as as coarse grained as possible. So I, I, let me give you an example here. One of the things that that, that we do in dark is we store passwords. Right, because you know this is the thing. And so we want people to be able to set the read your password permission to nobody, obviously. At the same time, sometimes someone needs to come in and say the passwords aren't saving properly, what do we do? And we have to be able to like give that person a temporary permission to see some requests and that access control can be used for almost anything. As long as you you your architecture product to, to do it this way and so so that's the thing like we want to anywhere in your in your dark architecture allow you to like you know specify the needs that you have really
0: yeah I mean that's that's the idea of Launch darkly is that uh, controlling code anywhere anytime Mm-hmm. I feel once again we've violently agreed it keeps
1: happening. What else can I tell you about dark?
0: I mean how's it going? I mean I have my own questions. I'll say for Launch Darkly, we always felt like we needed to make money. And I think it was partly that we were first time founders and we didn't have, we didn't feel like we could continue to raise money unless we had a track right. record. Like I have a theory that you can raise money on three things yeah, team, dream, traction. Yep. And if you have a super strong one out of three, you can do it. We felt we did not have a good enough.
1: I mean, if you're inexperienced, you kind of need them all.
0: Yeah. So, What's your theory beyond not charging money yet?
1: So the reason that we don't charge money is that we well, there's a bunch of reasons. So, so one, like dark is not ready to be paid for. Two, we we don't want to focus on pricing when we're still like figuring out what it is that we're doing. So we plan to raise our next round, our Series A, with zero in revenue. Yeah. And what we have to prove for that is like that this this is a game changing thing. So we we have different. Uh, we have different metrics that we're going, like usage of dark, but usage in the sense that like people are able to build real things on this and you can look at people building real things in it, and that it has features that make it possible to build those things faster, safer, better, lower maintenance, et cetera.
0: So is it a conscious decision not
1: to charge? Uh, yeah, yeah. I
0: think for us, we always just associated money mm-hmm. with
1: value. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to to charge money and to not and one of them is like you know that you can't so you know in the early days of circle we charge money because you know no one had had given us money and there's the risk that if you don't charge money that like you know that there's no kind of forcing function of, of providing value to, to users and that kind of thing but what we've done is we've Essentially, orchestrated the entire company around extracting that value or extracting that sort of information. So, like I talked earlier about the the EIR things that we do, like that's to get real feedback at a point in the company where it's just like the product can't get feedback from the market.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that we deliberately, when we went into beta, we didn't charge money because I didn't want to lock in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I said you told... lock in a certain pricing, or
0: I didn't want to lock in a certain pricing. Yeah. So, like yeah. our first five beta users, I said you need to pay. Twenty to hundred bucks to be part of our beta program. Yeah, and it was more just I wanted them to at least commit to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't. A, I mean, it,
0: it was really it was not about the twenty bucks. It was yeah. like, will you commit to twenty bucks? If right. it said no, it's like okay.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really important to get that level of commitment, and and money is is one of my favorite ways of getting that commitment. With Dark, if you're building your software on it, you know you're going to be using it, you know, hours a day. We get that that level of commitment a different way. Well, I
0: have a personal question. Yeah. I mean, are you having fun? This is your third or fourth startup, depending on how you count it. It's,
1: yeah. I guess it's my fourth probably. Yeah, depending on how you count it. could could go as high as six. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like there's a great team and uh, me and Ellen work really well together. And we're building this this thing that doesn't exist in the world that we believe needs to exist. Isn't that fun? Oh, it's like it's the best part of startups.
0: Yeah, it's so fun when you go talk to customers, they're
1: like, thank you. Right, right. So occasionally our customers come in to to see us and you know, have lunch or spend the day there. And just sort of like quizzing them on like why do you like dark? Do you still like dark? You know, would you go to something else instead? And some of the things that we believe are core. It's easy to believe, but it's another thing to hear someone telling you, "Oh yeah, this thing like, just like I want this all the time for everything else that I do." So in Dark, we show you values that if you're if you're looking at a variable or something like that, we'll show you on the side, you know, a value that this variable has been recently in production. But it turns out that it's not just neat; it's a fundamentally different way of writing software because as engineers, we spend so much time going, "What is this thing?" Like is you know tracing it through your program to try to figure out like what type it might have. And in dark just like it's all there at your fingertips. So you spend you spend your time on like producing value, not trying to like figure out shit that that should have been provided by a tool. Sounds fun. Are you building dark on Dark? Not as much as we would like. So we've built one small service on Dark. There's two other services that we're looking to move over to Dark. And I think the core engine is a thing that won't be built in dark for, for quite some time. I think that was a big forcing function for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, using LaunchDarkly and LaunchDarkly. Do you use feature flags in the thing that that controls the feature flags or is there like a sacred part of the code base that doesn't use any of your own stuff in it?
0: (laughs) I I can't say that in what we call it because I I get more worried about people hacking us but uh, Uh we definitely have a service that is running lunch darkly.
1: Right, so for us there's sort of this bootstrapping problem, right? We want to run dark and dark but you don't want to be like something goes wrong six yeah, yeah, layers so have, deep, and then you. Yeah.
0: So we have a, a very stable version that. Yeah. We run off of.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, like like six months ago's version is like you run this thing off to the side, so if your current thing fucks up, it's not going to affect. Yeah. How often do you deploy to that?
0: Not as often as we like, which sounds.
1: Uh huh. I think this is kind of hilarious that like the infrastructure providers. It is hard to use the continuous delivery that we want, not because we're against it, but because there's a fundamental problem of running something on top of itself that that could just break everything forever.
0: I mean, so this might sound like a total side note, but I was hanging out with a lot of Salesforce people, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how their customers do not want more than quarterly releases, oh, yeah, 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 or like, um, in particular, they were talking about Kubernetes mm-hmm. and they were like, well, Kubernetes has, like, basically, Weekly releases yeah. and customers don't want that.
1: Yep, that's why someone runs our Kubernetes for us.
0: So they were literally talking about how somebody had certified a version of Kubernetes and it took them ten months to certify.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, a customer had like run this version mm-hmm. of Kubernetes through all their internal protocols. Yeah, and by the time it's ready to go live, Kubernetes is like, well, that's dead.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got to be fun.
0: And I don't know who's wrong in this situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems that everyone is like right in some way, but. Yeah, it's it's all wrong in a bunch of ways.
0: Well, like Kubernetes is still moving pretty quickly, so they're like, we're not gonna freeze for ten months.
1: I mean, also that there are just like security releases. Yeah. Also, dark, you're still having fun. Dark, we're still having fun. I think we've identified the core challenges that remain to like get to market, and none of them are like risky anymore. They're just they're just we gotta get it done. And oh, we're we're hiring for this by the way. But you know, it's all like to enable this vision, we need this. And you know, kind of doesn't matter what what version that that comes in, or the other one that we have is we build a version of this and it's shit in this way, and we need to build a new version that doesn't have that that thing. Uh, none of it is we don't understand how to build this product okay, so what anymore. Are you, what are you hiring? We're hiring uh, infra and front end is our is our main things, but like you know, software generalists, but engineers, engineers, engineers. Hiring. Yeah, in San Francisco, unfortunately. Oh, this is interesting. Did you decide not to do remote? We decided that during the phase of our business that we're inventing something new, the high bandwidth communication of being in the same room is essential.
0: Did you try to do remote? No. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Uh, Circle was largely distributed, so I have a lot of the the experience of doing it. But we will go distributed at a point in the future when we hit another shift in in what the company is.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because remote is all the vogue right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, are you remote at all? Distributed?
0: We have a couple remote employees, but we are very deliberately all in one room mm-hmm. for the reasons you just cited. Of um, you
1: of know, course, you're in Oakland now, so it's easier to hire over there.
0: Yeah, I mean, back when we a heavy, bit I would go out and visit prospects. Yeah, I would yeah. come back. I would get coffee with the team, and I yeah. say team. I mean, we we're five people. Like,
1: yeah. Here and, are all the things that I've learned from the conversation.
0: Yeah, and it was just organic. Yeah, 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 and. It was just how we could move very quickly back then.
1: Yeah, so we we get a lot of the same thing. Like it's it's just, you know, someone has a new design for something, or they, they write a new doc about how certain things should work, and like you just need like very fast feedback. So like being in the same time zone, the same working hours, the same room, they're all they're all an essential part of that. And I look forward to the day when we no longer have those like where, where it's not such a strict requirement for those.
0: But it's it's really key, I think, in the early days. Mm. Otherwise, you have to build another rhythm.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely.
0: Well, it was nice to hear about Dark. Yeah,
1: happy to tell you things about it. We recently wrote a blog post on our medium, uh, Dark Lang on Medium, also Dark Lang on Twitter. T shirts? If you message us on Twitter, I'm sure we can find a T shirt. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly.
0: To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders.